Today we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of our Lord, and this is a day that is most joyous, and yet also it was on this day that Jesus asked a very good question. Why are you weeping? And it's a question that we begin to look at in this sermon to understand the complexities of of grief and sorrow since we have spent 40 days through Lent embracing this idea. And so now we get to understand the, the joys that we get through the weeping that we have. Well, over these past 40 days, the, the Lent season, for those who have been with us on this journey, I have challenged you to do just one thing, which is to practice the art of lamenting. To pick one thing that you will weep over, one thing that you will pursue God and pray to him about for these past 40 days, whether it be a person or a situation. And, and I hope that it has been something that has been encouraging, something that has been uh, thought-provoking and renewing for your own life. You see, I, I did this for one of two reasons. First off, we have no idea how to weep anymore. We've lost this within our community, within our, our lives. We, we have not felt comfortable with the idea of weeping as a society. It's, it's usually this idea of being rough and tough and to not let things tear you down. But research actually proves otherwise. Researchers have looked at the effects that crying has on the body, and besides some very basic functions, like keeping your eyes from drying out, tears actually do something wonderful. First off, it helps relieve the, the uh, anxiety that you feel. It brings a sense of calmness, a sense of peace, to your life, to your body when you cry because it increases oxytocin and endorphins and all those, all those chemicals in your body that help make you feel better and calm and at peace. And then also what happens is when you cry, your body is actually able to cry out the hormones that induce stress. Think about that. If you've ever seen someone who's been in a, a tragic event, someone who's heard some really bad news or whatever, and they, they begin to cry, that's because their body is being flooded with so much stress hormones that all of a sudden they actually cry as a function to get rid of all that so that your body can actually cope with the stress that you are feeling. So it's a very good thing to cry. In fact, you're healthier if you cry, if you are able to weep. Now, the other reason I did this was because I wanted us to understand how weeping ties into our spiritual lives. Because as a church, we have lost the ability to weep for a season. We've lost this idea because we we come and we say, church needs to be this time of happiness, this time of rejuvenation, this time of of comfort and, and laughter and joy. And yes, we should, especially on days like this, we should be saying, yes, praise God, we have something to celebrate, we have something to be happy about. But what happens is if we go every day, every day, every day trying to pursue this idea of being happy, those who truly have a reason to weep become alienated. They don't feel like they have a place among us because in order to be among us, you must be able to be happy. And that's not always the case because there are plenty of things to weep about. There are plenty of things to be sad about. 
And so I hope that throughout these past 40 days, those who truly have pursued this idea of lamenting have been able to gain a better appreciation for what it means to feel sadness and to feel grief, but to give it over to God to allow him to work through it. This world has a lot to be sad about. Just the bombings today. Uh, I read a news article last week about a girl who was a senior. She was graduating college, and her and her couple of friends who were also graduating went up to the top of the bell tower on their campus because it was tradition for graduating seniors to go up there and to touch the bell, and she stumbled and fell to her death. We have the fires that happened in Notre Dame that people surrounded the city just standing there weeping. Our world is filled with grief. And if we, as Christians, don't begin to have a proper understanding, a grasp on what it means to weep, and be able to be comfortable with this idea of weeping, we will soon alienate the world from all the pain that they are feeling, instead of coming and embracing them and giving them the help that they need. Now, people, they try to fix it all themselves. Some people try to fix it by buying things. Work is stressful, so I'm going to go and buy a boat. So two times out of the year, I can go out on the lake and, and go and enjoy the boat. Well, my family is just, they're, they're at odds with one another. They're always yelling at each other, and it's stressful. So I'm going to go buy a sports car with only two seats so that me and my wife can just go on nice, leisurely drives and forget everyone else. And then you get your credit card statements, and you say, oh, my goodness, my credit card is out of control because I bought a boat I can't afford. I bought a car that I can't afford, and now I don't know what to do. I'm going to go and buy some new clothes to make me feel better. And that's how some people cope with this idea of, of grief and stress and, and pain. Others turn to drugs and alcohol, hoping that the next hit will somehow numb them to the idea that it's not going to change anything, that it will somehow reverse the problems that they're facing, or, or they hope that the next shot will somehow wash away all that pain and grief so that they can forget about it but it only leads to more problems. Yet others turn to anger. You've probably seen those people, the people who walk around as if the entire world is on their shoulders and they're just gritting their teeth. And, and you know that if you smile at them, they're just ready to knock you out because they're so angry. And it just festers inside of them. They've pushed away everything else, and so they're left with no other way to respond except out of frustration and anger. These are the realities of what the world has to cope with. They have no other way to work around these ideas of what it means to be sad. But on this, our Easter day, we have something that's even greater. We have something that is even more precious. We have this idea that Christ has risen. And on this day, there is one question that is asked by the angels, and by Christ himself to the people who are mourning, because at this time the world was swept with grief. Why are you weeping? This question today is, is the catalyst for everything that we celebrate, everything that we've been leading up to these past 40 days, and now as we move on to talk about being sent out into the world, why are you weeping? And it's not said in such a way as, why are you weeping? You need to grow up and, and get over it, rub some dirt in it. It's not asked in this way of, of condensation, or condens being, 
con- yeah, that, that word. I'm sorry. Uh, why, why are you weeping? Can't, can't you just cope with it? Can't you just get over this? Aren't, aren't you bigger than that? No, it's, it's asked in this way of, why are you weeping? Share with me your pain. Share with me. Help me understand what it is that is affecting your life today. So that is what we will look at. Because today on our resurrection day, the day where we celebrate that Christ is alive, we need to understand, first off, what it means to have this question asked. Why are you weeping? So if you could please turn to John chapter 20, verse 1 through 18, we will begin to look at this text today. And this is where so much has happened. We had Good Fridays when Christ died and was buried. And then we had the Sabbath, which I'm sure was very solemn for everyone who knew Christ. They didn't want to celebrate. They didn't want to have the festivities as was tradition for the Passover time. No, they they were hunkered down in their rooms, weeping. But they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't go to the tomb to see Jesus' body because it was forbidden by the law to do any work and to touch any dead bodies. And so they had to wait. And then Sunday morning, we read the account of Mary Magdalene running to the tomb, ready to see her Savior, to to weep over him, and to to anoint his body. And this is where we begin to see what it means when people are asked, why are you weeping? If you are able, I ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word today in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the, the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to, one, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunini, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers 
and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, I pray that you might enlighten us into this wonderful resurrection story, this complex idea of, of why are we weeping, and yet we have so much joy to celebrate. Father, please speak to us today through your Holy Spirit. May we see and understand what it is that is so wonderful about this day. It is in your name we pray. Amen. First of all, we need to embrace weeping. Plain and simple, if we cannot embrace weeping, we will fail to connect with people who are weeping. If we cannot embrace weeping, we will segregate ourselves from everyone who feels pain, which I would like to know anyone in this world who has never felt pain, anyone who has never felt grief or sadness. To embrace weeping means to actually bring in and to say, I, I understand. Let me help you. We see it's even more complex, though, than this because the grief that Mary felt compelled her. It compelled her to do something. She was so burdened by the fact that her disciple, her, her disciple teacher was, was dead, that, that he was gone, that, that she wanted to go and anoint his body, which was just utterly amazing to think about that as soon as day broke, because you can't do it at nighttime, you can't see anything, they didn't have lights like we did, torches weren't that bright so she had to wait until morning but as soon as morning came she goes running towards the tomb and there she sees the tomb is open and so it's odd so she goes running back and she grabs Peter and John and she says come something's happened and so then she goes again her grief compelled her to continuously be looking and searching for an answer her grief led her to actually ask the question, is this real? Is this something that is actually happening in my life, or am I making this up? And so she had to do something about it. And by doing something about it, it moved her closer and closer to the answers that she needed. But notice she was not alone in her grief. Peter and John were there. This is something that I think so many times we fall into the lies, the, the the lies of that we are alone in our grief, that we are alone in our pain and sorrow, that, that if we weep, we will be the only ones who feel this. We are never truly alone like that. There is always someone who can feel our pain, who can help and walk with us and talk with us through it. But because she was compelled, it also gave her you see, because she was looking for the answer, she was pursuing them, and so as she was going, she actually had the hope that what she saw was not what was reality. And it kept her going and going. This is so important when we embrace weeping because so many of us want to push pain aside. We want to push the grief aside. We want to say, no, I don't want to feel this. I, I don't want to succumb to this pain. I don't want to weep. But as soon as we do that, we push aside the very thing that can help move us to continuously have hope through that circumstance. And that's then where we fall into even more trouble. Because if we push away this weeping, 
then we have nothing to pursue us, nothing to compel us, and so then we have no hope to keep things going. But Mary allowed the hope to fill inside of her, and each time she came to the tomb, she went closer and closer. She sees it open, she runs back. She comes again, and the disciples go in, and she stands at the doorway, and then when they leave, and then she actually goes in. The hope that it's not going to be the case that it's not going to be real, that, that there's something else happening that she just doesn't understand yet. And so we need to let the tears flow. It's uncomfortable sometimes to sit in a room as people are crying. It's uncomfortable sometimes to be in the midst of weeping. But we need to be able to allow ourselves that space so that people can cry, so that people can weep because it is healthy, and it is necessary. Think about this. Christ himself wept. We read this when he went to the tomb of Lazarus, and he knows that his friend has died, and he weeps. If God himself succumbed to that emotion, why then do we want to associate weeping with something that is bad, that we should never do, should never feel? If God himself says, hey, it, it's okay, there are times where you'll be provoked to weep, then it probably is okay to allow ourselves to also feel this time where it's necessary to weep. So we need to let the tears flow. Even more so as we join with people who are weeping. We are able to put into practice the one thing that we are told to do, which is to mourn with those who mourn to come alongside someone and say, I'm here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to make this any better, but I am here. If you need to cry, here's a shoulder, here's some tissues, and I'll be here as long as you need it. You know what that does for someone? It tells them they're not alone. It tells them that they have someone who loves them and cares about them. Mary is a representation of everyone's lives. Because we all face tragedy. We all have these pains, these sorrows. We all have these moments where we need to weep. We can't let it become a sign of weakness. We can't let it become something that we say, okay, well now our lives are all messed up and, and we're, we're crazy and we need to go find some help because, you know, if, if I'm crying, then all of a sudden it must mean that I'm all messed up. That's not the case. It's okay. And if you need it, then here, take this. I give you permission to weep. You actually have permission to weep. And if anyone comes at you and says, well, you need to stop weeping, then you say, hey, well, this pastor told me I could weep, so back off. I have his permission. Because we need to. There are moments where it's necessary. Ultimately, what happens then is that we ask questions. When we weep, when someone is struggling with pain, they'll begin to ask questions, and, and we begin to have the opportunity to ask those questions. Look at verse 13 here. They said to her, the angels, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, this is something that is absolutely amazing. The angels come to Mary. Why are you weeping? Jesus 
you know, Son of God, knows everything, comes to Mary and says, why are you weeping? She's in a graveyard, okay? Do you, do you understand this? She's in a graveyard. She's standing at a tomb. Why are you weeping? Anyone ask that question? Why, why would you need to ask this question? Well, because don't just assume you know. Don't just assume you know why someone is weeping. Maybe she was crying because someone had dumped a whole bunch of onions right there, and she didn't care whose tomb it was. She was just passing by, and she was crying. You don't know. Or maybe because someone messed up the flowers that were outside the tomb, so she's crying about that. You don't know. One of the best things to do when you come upon a situation where someone is weeping is to ask them, what's going on? Why are you weeping? Because you don't want to just assume that you know the pain that they're feeling. You don't want to just assume that you can figure out who they are and what's troubling them. And it gives them an opportunity for the questions to become answered. Because the angels ask Mary, why are you weeping? And she begins to express, she begins to have this opportunity to put to words the emotions she's feeling. And then Jesus asks her, and she puts into even more words the same emotions that she's feeling. If you've taken his body, please tell me. I, I'll take care of it. It's, I don't want it to be a burden to anyone. I just want to see my teacher. By asking a simple question, they're able to not only gain understanding about the pain that she's feeling, but also gives Mary the opportunity to actually begin to work out within her own heart what it is that is causing her so much grief. And this is so important when we begin to talk with other people. Because sometimes we need that question. Why are you weeping? What's going on in your life? So that you can actually take that moment to stop and to put to words the thing that is sparing you so much emotionally. And so I remind you that questions still get answered. Even today, if you ask a question, there will become an answer of some sort for you. So ask those questions. Learn to actually come alongside one, someone and ask them a question. Don't assume that you know just because they're at a graveside why they're crying. Ask them. Maybe it's because they never knew their father. They found out who their father was and that he was dead. And then they came to the grave and they're mourning because they never knew who he was. Well, it's not just because he has died. It's the fact that there was never that connection to the Father in the first place. That gives you a totally different understanding of the complexities that that person is wrestling with than just to say, oh, well, they're sad because someone has died. Furthermore, it can help people begin to grapple with the pain that they're actually feeling to actually begin to understand the heartaches. But ultimately, these questions... Whenever we ask them, whenever they are asked of us, because many times when people are in pain, they ask questions of why is this happening? What is God doing? How is this supposed to be any good for me? All of these questions need to lead to one thing, which is the same thing that Mary soon realized. She needs to recognize Jesus. Can you recognize Jesus? Jesus in the moment. 
here Mary is so burned down with grief that she can't tell that she's actually talking to the person that she's weeping over. Until he says, Mary! There's exclamation point. Mary! Wake up! Look at me! I'm here. It's so hard, but we cannot let sadness blind us. We cannot become so overwhelmed with the grief that then we cannot see past it. If we do, then we will miss the very thing that we might be looking for. Like Mary, she, she had all that pain. And it took Jesus yelling in her face to get her to snap out of it and to look and to see. Now here's something. Something that I wanted to think about. We don't worship a God who is dead. We don't worship a God who lived and then no longer was. We worship a God of resurrection. Think about that for a moment. We worship a God of resurrection. They're going to the graveside. They're going to the tomb. They're looking for this man, and he has to come and show them that he's not there. He actually has to go back to his own grave to pull them away from his grave to say, look, I don't belong there anymore. This isn't where I live. Because I'm a God of resurrection. I'm a God of life, not of death. We worship a God of resurrection, which means that we ourselves get to have a life of resurrection and not of death. We don't have to live with the pain of our past. We don't have to live with all the, the things that we've done in our past. We don't have to live with all the guilt and all the sorrow and all the bad choices. No, we can actually be renewed. We can have a new life that is something completely different because we serve a God who makes lives different and new. No amen. No, no, praise God. No, nothing. Are you awake? Are you happy? Are you excited? Come on now. We serve a God of resurrection. <laughs> Thank you. Come on. Isn't this great? Because now it doesn't matter what our past was. It doesn't matter what our history was. That doesn't have to define us any longer because we serve a God who is greater than that. We serve a God who defeats death. It's amazing. So I ask you, are you still weeping? If you don't know who Christ is, it's, it's very simple. He is one who has come to make all things new. He is one who has come to forgive sins, to forgive all of our past, to say that it no longer has to define who you are. And if you believe in me, and if you proclaim that I am king, then you will be forgiven. And all the punishments that's deserved to you will no longer be yours to bear. What a wonderful thing to know. And for those of us who do know Christ, for those of us who have walked this for a long time, you don't have to hold on to the pain either. That should be long gone. In fact, you should be so busy about doing the very thing that Mary was told to do that it shouldn't matter what your past was. Because Jesus says, go, 
Go tell my disciples. Go tell people that I'm alive. Go tell people what you have seen. We get to do that today. So we no longer have this excuse to weep, to mourn, to cry over what is happening. Now, there will be times where we will be tempted to fall into weeping. There will be things that truly are sad, things like the bombing just this morning, that we will feel the grief about. And that is natural, and that is okay. But in Christ, we never have to be so overcome with the grief of this world that we cannot celebrate the fact that our Savior lives. We no longer have to be controlled by all the pains and the stresses of this world that we can't realize that Christ has lived and he has freed us to live the life with him. And this is wonderful, wonderful news. Because through him then we have no reason to be burdened down with weeping. We have no reason to have a life filled with guilt that we cannot move past it, that we cannot overcome it, because he is a God of new things. Now, one of the ways that we celebrate this, one of the ways that we remember the fact that he lives and that we too will live, is through what we call communion. Now, I believe that, uh, some of us might not understand that. So let me take a moment to explain here. It is not just something that Jesus did during a meal. He didn't just take some bread and some wine and say, okay, here, here's my body, here's my blood, drink it and remember me. He, he didn't just do this because it was something interesting. He didn't do it just as a way to say, have something that you can do every once in a while so that you can kind of think that, hey, well, at least I know that my sins are forgiven. This is something that we do proclaiming the fact that we know that we have this hope. That every day we know that Christ is alive. That he is coming again. That we are no longer bound by the, the rules of this world. But that in Christ we can actually enjoy the many graces, the many things that he has done for us, and the very fact that he has given us new life to live so that we don't even have to weep. And we do this every so often to be a reminder that what we do now in a physical way will happen very soon in a spiritual way, where we will have this new life. And so... Um, if I could please have the usher come forward for communion so that we might pass it out. In unity with the church, we confess our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. And so we pray. Holy God, 
we gather at this your table in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. And on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we believe in open communion, which means that if you know Christ, you are free to take of this. You do not have to belong to the church. You do not have to profess a certain creed. All you must be able to say is that Christ is Lord. He is my Lord. And you may receive. So as you take the bread and the juice, hold on to it and think and praise God for the fact that he brings this resurrection. body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, preserve you blameless until everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and give thanks. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, shed for you, preserve you blameless until everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and give thanks. There are a lot of things in this world that can cause us to weep. There's a lot of things in this world that can bring us to our knees. But we have something far greater today than what they had back then. It is this fact that no grief, no sorrow, no disaster can be so great that we weep without the hope that the disciples felt they had on that Easter morning, that Mary thought she had, because we know Christ is alive. We know that he is risen, and we serve a God who is so powerful and yet so loving that he comes alongside and says, why are you weeping, but can wipe away Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are alive, that you are with us now, and that you have given us this hope of resurrection, that we can move past the weeping, that we can move past all the pains and sorrows of this world, that we can proclaim that you are in us and you can work through us, and that you have saved this world, that you are bringing about a new life, a resurrection from the dead. So that even our, our biggest enemy, that of death itself, can no longer have power over us for all those who profess you to be Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. May we profess that you are Lord. May we do as Mary did and go and tell people, Jesus has raised from the grave. 
He's not there anymore. You can't find him there because he lives. And he lives so that we might have life as well. May we take this news and may we share it with all people to know how great you are. On this blessed Easter day, leave with the hope that we do not need to weep. That though there will be times for it, though not every evil and pain is dealt with just yet, we have a hope that is founded in the resurrection of our Lord. And that one day we will no longer need to be asked, why are you weeping? Amen. I now send you out into your community to make Christ-like disciples, to share the good news that Jesus is Lord and he is no longer in the grave. Go, you are dismissed.